Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, what's up? It's another week of Cinematics, a bunch of new episodes. Well, actually, two new episodes in a way. This is episode number 205, I believe, for Cinematics. We are just, we were just done by our, we just finished our latest Patreon episode, which we covered two films, Eric Holmes, joined by Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. Eric Holmes, can you mention what movies we covered recently, what we recorded on, on Patreon? Uh, yeah, we uh, talked about Trash Humpers and MacGruber. And um, also, Experiment in Terror came up at the very, very, very end, and that, yes. that that was fun too. So watch that movie. And that is a yes, that is a great free recommendation, non Patreon recommendation to the the populace, the, the Commonwealth. Yes, Experiment in Terror, I believe, was either released in sixty four, sixty five. Stars Lee Remick. I have not seen it. I remember Eric Holmes recommended it to us over our Cinematics Facebook group a couple years ago. That was when we talked about the passing of Blake Edwards. Yes, for a catch-all $5 per month, you can join us on our Cinematics Patreon for our bonus episodes, some spoiler talk, a lot of different things for our Cinematics. Okay, so that's very, very good. Bruce, do you remember what year we are covering for our bonus episode of September? What year are we doing? Uh, 1998, I do believe. 1998. Do you remember anything from the year? Where were you in the year 1998? I know we're probably Eric Holmes was just a little bit of a pop. What, do you remember your 1998 years? Uh, yeah, I was living in Seattle, north of Seattle somewhere and watching lots of movies, but I kind of as a blur, like which movies came out in 98 versus 99. I mean, you know, that's true. I don't know. I was but, living, yeah. I was living in Cover City, California, which was home of Sony pictures. Some I lived, I didn't know. I lived just a block and a half away from where they shot Gone with the Wind. You know, Eric and Bruce did not know that about me, but again, I, I did the mandate, no personal stuff <laughs> from cinematics. And I apologize for, to Bruce and Eric and to you listeners for our personal stuff. Uh, any personal stuff we want to get out of the way, Bruce or Eric, before we get into our movies? Anything right off the top? I got an interview coming up. I'll talk more about that next week because we'll be covering one of the movies next week. Okay. Very, very so good. Maybe we'll, we'll allude to that towards the end of the program. Bruce, any any kind of... Uh... I'll use my lot of time to to tease uh, the Patreon. So all you poor, poor people who have not paid to be in the Patreon. Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, you're missing so many hot takes by Eric. Oh, my gosh. You don't even know. You should yes. hear what he says. You should hear what he says is the best movie by Francis Ford Coppola. I might even tease a very you know, Bruce. I might actually break the law, our law on cinematics by actually releasing that little snippet from Eric Holmes as sort of a tease for our Patreon. Maybe people can actually join our Patreon for a month just to get at Eric Holmes for his hot take on FFC, Francis Ford Coppola's films. But there's no Coppola this week. There's no Blake Edwards. There are three films that we're covering. This movie, a documentary called Mr. Jimmy, it centers on a Japanese musician who Really, who really wants to become Jimmy Page? And that's a very interesting documentary that me and Bruce got to check out. Me, Bruce, and Eric were covering the two films, Nandor Fodor and The Talking Mongoose, and a movie called The Good Mother. Okay, so those are our three movies this week that we're spotlighting on cinematics. Before we dive in, any kind of quippy things right off the beaten path stuff, Eric Holmes, that you wanted to mention before we just dive right into these movies? No, no, I think we got it. Um, <laughs> you got yeah. it. Korean cinema? You want to say something about Korean cinema? Have you been in a Korean state of mind the last several days? 
Oh yeah, uh, that that actually would be some. Uh, so the the uh, Subway Cinemas is uh, always always doing these uh, these things in New York to uh, film festival type things. Um, always kind of putting Asian cinema forward, and uh, I believe it's the first to the seventeenth. They are doing um, Korean cinema Golden Age, the nineteen sixties. And uh, yeah, I, I got to got to watch uh, watch one of them. It's got a couple names. Oh, is it Blood Sucking Killers? That one was a really really strange movie, but really good. And there's like a whole list of other ones that I need to get through eventually. Um, Are you excited to actually get through them? The yeah, because I I, I I I really love uh, Korean cinema from like the 2000s on, and so the 60s in Korean cinema is just complete blind spot for me. And so, uh, uh, this is the second time I, I interviewed, uh, Goran Topolovic. Um, I interviewed him before with the, when it, they were doing it for the Wuxia movies and that opened up a whole door. So I think as much as I love Korean cinema, 1960s Korean cinema is not anything I know anything about. So yeah, pretty much anytime Goran comes on, I, I know that I'm going to learn more and open up a new, uh, cabinet of goodies cinematic goodies well hopefully next week if you have the time eric maybe see a couple more of these korean films and tell us yeah. what you think of this korean cinema from that golden age and why it was a golden age uh, period for cinema and also that those interviews will be up we will i'll post a link on where eric's interview with goran topolovic uh topolovic i apologize yeah. topolovic it'll be out later via our find your film podcast later this month i mean later this week i apologize okay so the first movie is nandor fodor Yes, Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose. What a ridiculous title. I can't even pronounce Nandor Fodor. Here's the thing. It's not as silly as you think because Nandor Fodor is an actual parapsychologist who actually existed in this world we know as Earth. So this is sort of, in a weird way, based on a true story or based on real events. It centers on how in 1935, Dr. Nandor Fodor, played by Simon Pegg, he is investigating this claim that there is a talking mongoose who lives among a family. They're called the Irvings, and the the wife is just a really seemingly perfect mom. She cooks really cool raspberry tarts and desserts, and the father is just maybe overly friendly. Their daughter has ventriloquist powers. She is a talent. She can throw her voice around. Most importantly, though, there is there really a talking mongoose living amongst them and in the village? Where Doctor, where um, Nandor Fodor decides to investigate. Mini Driver is also in this movie as Anne, the assistant to Nandor Fodor, and also Christopher Lloyd. He plays this fellow parapsychologist. I think his name is Harry Price. And what's interesting is even though Harry Price is seemingly a minor character in this film because he's the one who actually discovered this assertion of the talking mongoose, and he throws over that job to Nandor Fodor. Christopher Lloyd actually provides a pretty solid VO in the first act and he spends a couple of interesting back and forths with Simon Pegg in the movie at the beginning and at the end. It's 96 minutes rated PG-13 directed and written by Adam Sigel. I ascribed a lot of value to this movie. It's just a weird film. I feel like maybe I put a little bit too much of my personal thoughts on maybe faith and religion or myth and I thought it was a little bit resonant. I, I I don't know. I think I I feel 
I was a bit crazy for really enjoying this movie. Bruce, am I going outside the bounds of actually enjoying this film? How did yes. you feel about this? Yes, you okay. are. You okay. are going outside the bounds. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. It's not. It's fine. Um, uh, well, I, I feel like this is a very curious film and I have a real hard time pinning down exactly what it's doing. Um, first of all, I definitely have a hard time pinning down whatever accent uh, Simon Pegg is doing. I don't have any clue what that is. But, Herself waltz. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't quite work for me. But that being aside, uh, so it's based, like you said, it's based on a real story. It's based on actual events that's that happened in this village and actual accounts of this talking mongoose that no one could ever quite see, but they all claimed it was there and, and real. And okay, how to get about this? This movie feels like it wants to be whimsical, and the music is always telling me it's musical. It's whimsical. The music, the score, is always kind of in that mode, or a lot of the time it's in that mode. But the movie itself isn't really that whimsical. It has moments, but it's it's. I think it's trying to be a little more philosophical to some degree, like very deep. Like sort of, I, I I think it's kind of dangerously deep, honestly, in an era where believing it's fine if people believe things that aren't actually true and are not, that's not a problem. That kind of, the message of this movie kind of is kind of saying like, ah, if people want to believe stuff that's just not true, that's great. What's the, what's the harm? Really, there's a lot of harm in that right now. I think you can see throughout the world. Um, but that's kind of, once again, that's me ascribing the real world onto this movie, which doesn't really apply either. No, I think- it, it applies though, because I think this movie engages the audience to give their interpretation. So I think yeah. your take is valid. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think the, the movie is, is okay. I think it, what it wants to do is it wants to be this, this kind of this discussion between, you know, the scientific method and faith and, you know, whether like, where the where the validity lies between those two things or does it lie in both places or can both places have can can they coexist in the same world I, that's what it's kind of i think getting at right but the problem i had with this movie is that to me it's so plainly clear where the reality lies like the evidence is preponderance of evidence that it lies in a certain direction. And I'll leave it at that because people can watch the movie and, you know, decide for themselves. But I think it's very, very, very obvious where it lies, which makes me not understand exactly the the point of the movie. And the other problem I kind of have with the movie, and I don't hate this movie. I, I had a fine time watching it, but it's just, it's kind of, it's very mild mannered. I think this movie needs to have a little more something. It needs to have a little more bite in some direction. Either it has to be a little more truly whimsical or a little more serious. Like take this really preposterous idea and make it super serious. I don't know. It's whatever it is. It it doesn't quite go in a direction. And I think that's kind of my, my, yeah, that's kind of my problem is I feel like it's kind of too wishy-washy. Like I said, I don't hate it. But I didn't love it. I'm going to give it an extra half star just for the post credit sequences that go- occur because I kind of loved that. And yeah, honestly, stay for the end credits. Stay for the end the, credits. The, the sense of humor and self deprecation that's available there made me think like, why did this person make this movie? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> you know, maybe it's the script has nothing to do with the person. I don't know. Because I he's feel an like asshole. This, because yeah, he's an asshole. <laughs> I, I feel like there could have been a lot more. Of that personality thrown into this movie, and I, I think it would have been a better movie. But I, I understand that a director is not the the whole the whole voice of a movie necessarily. So 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of right in the middle on this one. Well, Eric, uh, Bruce said, use a word wishy-washy. Did you feel that this movie was wishy-washy as well? Where did you stand on this film? I don't, but I kind of see where Bruce is coming from. Uh, my thoughts on it. First, it, this movie played a lot like a, like a murder mystery, but there's not a murder, but there's definitely like a mystery element to it. Is this, uh, talking mongoose Jeff? Is this, uh, is this real? Is it not? And I think it com- becomes pretty clear that the whole thing's a hoax, but what I liked what the, the movie did. And I think where Bruce might be kind of buttoned up against is, Nando Fodor, his character is a skeptic. He doesn't believe any of this. The stuff that's presented is done in such a way that it's like, oh, this is this is clearly a hoax. Like, why why does anyone believe this? And I think as it goes on, I kind of uh, I kind of saw how someone could go could get there. And so, like, this would be like something if you if you see yourself in the movie. Oh, that's where I'm doing this thing in real life. Maybe I can, uh, you know, kind of put a pin in that and recognize it when it comes and I start falling for that. That's kind of where I was going with this. Uh, as far as the whimsy stuff, I think, yeah, I suppose, but mo- mostly I got the, mostly I got the murder mystery vibe without the murder. Um, but, uh, I'd loved, uh, yeah, kind of, so I'm not familiar with, I, I'm familiar now with who Nando Fodor is, but I wasn't at the time. And then I looked him up. He's like parapsychologist investigator. And then I was like reading more about him. And I was like, Oh, he's kind of like James Randy, like where James Randy would go around and, and, you know, he does like the, the mentalism and magic tricks and stuff, but he does it with full, you know, given full knowledge that this is a trick. And then when other people come and try to uh, say, no, I really talk with the dead. And it's like, oh, do you? All right. Well, oh, you really have uh, mental powers. Okay. Display them. But you have to do them, you know, on my terms. Otherwise, uh, you've proved nothing to me. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I think Nando Fordor is. Um, They don't also, I guess to Bruce's point, they don't really dig deep into that aspect of it. Although there's a bit of it in there. Um, I would have liked to uh, see him kind of go more into that. And to tell you the truth, I'd like to see more movies like this kind of go deep. Like, it'd be cool to see a a movie about James Randi, but kind of done in the same way where they can, but like kind of go a little harder into the uh, skepticism of it. Well, I, I enjoyed this movie. It's one of these things where I agree, actually, Bruce, with your assessment of this film. It's like pineapple pizza. There's a lot of people who won't really <laughs> just understand pineapple pizza. I'm not saying you don't understand it, I. but it's just a weird mix. And I really loved how this movie was that weird mix and it straddled that balance. It, it was weird. I, I ended up really enjoying this film. I don't know how the mass will feel about Nando Fordor and the talking mongoose. Let's start off with ratings for this film. Eric Holmes, what rating do you give it? Right now, probably a four and a half. Just because I wish they would have would have went a little harder in the skepticism, but uh, I mean it could also climb because I I really enjoyed this quite a bit. Four and a half, okay, and you loved it the most because of it's a four and a half because of why Eric just because I, what I like, trying to approach. I, the- I like the I like the mystery of it. I like the I like the characters. I even like Simon Pegg's weird accent, whatever that was. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Neil Gaiman was good. Oh, Neil, Neil Gaiman as the voice of Jeff. Mm-hmm. Loved loved that because uh, uh, Neil Gaiman was doing the the narration at the beginning. I was like, oh, I love this narration. They, 
the guy sounds a lot like Neil Gaiman. And then the credits came up, Neil Gaiman. I'm like, oh, well, there it is. Um, but yeah, it's a, I think if they would have went harder in the skepticism, this could have been a five, 6.9 star. But as it is, four and a half. And I would definitely watch it again for sure. Did you like, did you like Christopher Lloyd? Oh, yeah. Christopher <laughs> Lloyd's great. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd was great at this. And, oh, oh, mini driver. Yes. Love, love yeah. mini, mini driver. Mini driver is good. really good. She was so good. She was so, it's not a role that she usually plays a very subtle, uh, reserved woman in this movie. And she's very good. Very good in this movie. So, yeah. I'm giving it four stars, four and a half for Eric. What is your rating, Bruce? Uh, I'll be three stars. Three stars? That's, look, that's a mild recommend. That's not, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, We're, good okay. enough time with it, yeah. Good, good enough time. Nando Fordor and the Talking Mongoose hits theater September 1st. Tell us what you think of this film. Eric Holmes is going to take a little bit of a break. I'm going to bestow a little bit of a break for you, Eric Holmes, because Bruce and I, oh, there you go. He's he, he's hanging right next to his Blue Ruin poster. He's just chilling. There's a movie that like, comes out. It's documentary, September 1st. It was actually made in 2019, so it's four years since, but maybe because of COVID and whatnot, it's taken a while. I was encouraging Bruce Perky to continue to watch this documentary named called Mr. Jimmy, and it's about this Japanese guy, average Joe, but he's not so average, and he's also a dog. His name is Aiko Sakurai, and his thing is he actually wants to become Jimmy Page. He knows he's not going to transform into Jimmy Page, but the way to become Jimmy Page or quote-unquote Mr. Jimmy is to immerse himself into the musical stylings of Jimmy Page, like literally parrot and riff off or note by note, strum by strum, copy Page's stylings from different concerts during his Led Zeppelin years. So if you are a fan of Led Zeppelin, you might become a fan of Aiko Sakurai as well. Who knows? This movie could be for you, Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky just left the room for a second. Are you a fan of Led Zeppelin at all or Jimmy Page or Robert Plant of that music? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not like a top 10 band for me, but I do dig them. Uh, when the Levy Breaks a Good Song. John Bonham's a great drummer. I mean, th- everyone says that, but like uh, me and my friends uh, jam out like once a month and those want to do a Led Zeppelin song. And I thought for the longest time, I was like, I don't I don't get it. The, the, the beats he's playing so simple until I started trying to play him. I'm like, oh, I was. Yeah, <laughs> I underrated him quite severely because uh, his, his drum lines are really inventive. Uh, but as far as Jimmy Page, um, yeah. Not not a fan, not not a fan, just kind of neutral. Know. Neutral. Yeah. yeah, well, whether you're a fan or not, it's hard to dispute Jimmy Page's contributions to music. And I think for, for me, Mr. Jimmy really spotlights how Jimmy Page is a great, great musician, as seen through the eyes of Aiko Sakurai when he was a teenager. Aiko, I think it's Aiko, it's I know, I'm sorry, Akio, Akio Sakurai, he was really entranced by jimmy page and what's interesting about this documentary is now sakurai is in his he's middle age now and for over 30 years he has been trying to become he's been mr jimmy he has continued to have that passion for jimmy page over the years i found it to be a very interesting documentary i liked his entire journey look it traces about seven maybe six or seven years of his life as mr jimmy bruce your thoughts on this documentary yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, I would say uh, this will vary a little bit on your love or not love of Led Zeppelin because there's a lot of him playing. So I think that 
if, if there's any knock against it, it probably could be trimmed down for some of that and then maybe leave more of that on like a, a Blu-ray release or something. So people can really watch more of the performances because there's a lot of him playing, but it, but if you like that stuff, I mean, value added for sure. I think that where this really shines is just the, the level of um, obsessiveness that he puts to it. So for example, and I, I might've missed some of the stuff he said, I had to run out of the room for a second. Sorry. No um, uh, he'll do things like, well, I want to sound like I want this amp because this amp that he used is what he sounded like in 1973. And this performance, I'm going to be 1973, Jimmy page, but then tomorrow I'm going to be 1971, Jimmy page, which I have to use a different guitar and can, and he has like technicians to literally re, wire his amp, you know, to get the exact right sound. And he has to have the exact vintage, you know, guitar. And then he has another woman who's literally trying to sew the exact outfit that he wore at the certain performance with this, you know, embroidered dragon on it. And they're looking at photographs and videos to get the exact, oh wait, there's four, there's four things, you know, on the back instead of three things, but the, the, and she'll bring him that, you know, there scenes where she'll bring him the finished thing and he'll say like, well, yeah, but I was looking at the video and it's not gold. It's, it's silver and gold. So you have to redo that. And, you know, she's probably spent like, you know, 50 hours sewing that dragon head on the back of this thing. And then he's, he's going to have to go redo it. And he does the same thing with his other performers, you know, whoever is the Jimmy or whoever's the Robert Plant in his band has to deal with this. And whoever's the John Bonham and so on and so forth. So all that stuff I thought was very interesting. I think where I would like to have had a little more is I would have liked to have had a little more of like his family and they may not have wanted to been involved, but there's a whole sequence where he's, going off to LA to keep pursuing this in a different way. What was happening to them? What were they thinking? You know, like, cause he, he has a wife. Yeah. You see, you see her and she seems down. She's on board. She's part of the team, but you really don't see her once he's doing LA stuff. So I really wanted to know more about that. Once again, I don't know what the access was or what their willingness was. So there may have been, that may just be purely unable to happen. And I would have liked to have heard a little more Frank's discussion from some of his other bandmates some of the times. Because I could tell some of the times they were like, dude, you're just taking this a little too hard. Overall, really interesting. I think it's an interesting, it's interesting to think about the idea of wanting to be inspiring by the music you create yourself versus trying to really imitate someone to the nth degree and like what does that fulfill for me it's like it's like being the best art forger in the world right like how does that fulfill you <laughs> you know what i mean so it is kind of interesting to think about uh overall though i'd say it was an interesting documentary for sure yeah i wanted a lot more regarding his family well maybe just even a little bit more just get his yeah. wife's reaction a few just... less performances and a little more of his family i would have been fine with that so yeah your husband's out in LA for several years. How do you feel about it? Let's get yeah. that footage. All right. Yeah. You're, you're having problems. What, what, what how does uh, struggles in Los Angeles? You're not making a million dollars a night playing with Led Zeppelin. You're, mm, what are the, nope. what are the, str- what are the struggles of living <laughs> in, in Los Angeles? Fresno or wherever they were at. <laughs> right. Or at a Renaissance fair or at a beer fest or it's nothing wrong with that. But what are the struggles? They do show yeah. it a little bit about Mr. Jimmy, but I guess, oh yeah, but I agree with you, Bruce. I end up really enjoying Mr. Jimmy just as far as the documentary, like Anderson Cowan would say, went down smooth for me. Love the Zeppelin music. 
loved him as a person and the people around him and all those hardworking people, artisans who are just trying to make his life a little bit more pleasurable and easier too. Mr. Jimmy for me is four stars. What is your rating on Mr. Jimmy Bruce? I'm three and a half. I probably would have been four if it was tightened up a little bit more. Um, it would have been four. And if it had that other stuff in it, it could have been even higher. Like we, we could have like followed those artisans, like when they were alone, I would like to have seen those artisans alone. <laughs> like, God damn it. I got to re-sew this thing again. There's no dragon head on the pants. Grr. You know, like that would have been cool. Anyway, okay, so that, that, yeah, that is Mr. Jimmy three and a half for Bruce four for me. It's in theaters on September 1st. Also in theaters on September 1st is this Hillary Swank film called the good mother. She plays Issue Good Mother. Well, you're going to get to see by the end of this film, The Good Mother centers on a journalist played by Hilary Swank, and she gets the horrible, tragic news that her youngest son has been murdered during the dead of night, and she is out to find who killed her son. The problem is, even though she is a journalist and she knows how to report and get the facts and investigate, she's also an alcoholic. She's also not getting along with the people in her in her news in the newspaper, her, her, her colleagues. So she's a little bit of an outlier outsider within her work. She's an alcoholic. Good news is her son, played by Jack Rayner, her eldest son, is a police officer. So with the help of her son, she might find out what happened to her youngest son. Now, Jack Raynor, we love Jack Raynor. He's a very good actor. He's plays the eldest son. I think I've I don't know who the youngest son was. You, you really don't know because you don't get to see his face in the movie. But also starring in this film is Olivia Cook from Me or Me and Earl in the Dying Girl. She's great in this. I think she's also in House of Dragons on HBO Max or on the Mac or Max. And she plays the girlfriend of the late son. And like the son, it's not a spoiler, the son was addicted to dr- drugs and he was trying to get off of it. And I think he was maybe drug free for a while. And she's also was once drug addicted too. And she's trying to get on the men as well. She has a fractured relationship with Hillary Swank's character, but eventually two, both of them join up and team up to find out what happened to her son. And that is a premise of The Good Mother. Let's start with you, Eric Holmes. Your thoughts on this film? Did it work for you? As a thriller, yes. Uh, when it starts delving into the, uh, this is the problem with drug addiction, I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I get the sense that, uh, the writer or the director, um, all they know about drug addiction is what they've seen in movies because it just kind of repeats that. And it's kind of, and, and, and there's scenes where they try to lean in and make it like a really dramatic or like real, be really pointed about drug addiction and, and none of it comes off as legitimate. It just comes off as uh movie tropes when they do it in here. That aside is a uh, thriller. You know, it's pretty decent. I, I kind of feel about this, what uh, Bruce felt about Nandor. Um, like, it's just kind of like that there's bits of it. I like, but it, it just wasn't the, the parts that bug me, bug me a lot. And the, the parts that I liked was a little too, too little, too late. You know, the, the acting notwithstanding, like, you know, Jack Rayner's good, Hillary Swing, like all the acting, all that stuff. The, the movie, uh, actually the movie was kind of dark. Um, not in tone, but just in, you know, visually dark. And yeah, it, it was, uh, could have watched to catch a killer again, but I had to watch this instead. <laughs> Bruce, do you agree with Eric's assessment of the, the good mother. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with him too. I, I, I like all the performers. Uh, I like that it has a real, much more serious approach than I thought it was going to have. I thought this might be a little more, um, like a little more campy or, or 
over the top and it wasn't, it was trying to play it pretty straight. I think where it fails for me is as a, as a mystery, because I think at, at its heart, it's a mystery, like who's, so it's kind of doing two things, right? It's trying to be this drama kind of between mother and daughter, you know, de facto daughter-in-law, right? She's not, but she's kind of de facto daughter-in-law and kind of how they have to come to work together, even though they don't really like each other at the beginning to solve this mystery. I, I kind of like that the, the relationship stuff between the two of them was kind of interesting to watch them kind of interact and they're great actors, both of them. So that part was great, but the mystery itself I thought was kind of obvious. Like I definitely knew who was doing bad things pretty early and it turned out to be true. And then we're not going to talk about it, but the way it turns at the end, I thought I absolutely do not understand the ending of this movie. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense to me why certain characters do certain things at the end of this movie. I think it's boneheaded and, or if it's on purpose, I don't know what that's trying to tell us about the people in the movie. It doesn't make any sense uh, who we're supposed to, uh, you know, side with. So that alone knocked it down for me quite a bit. So for me, it just, it's just kind of a, a interesting parts that don't add up. Yeah. The ending for me, I thought it has two alternate endings without giving too much away. But it, it re- remains a little bit ambiguous regarding what's going to happen next. I think it, the director, Miles Joris Perfit, I believe, is just trying to engage us as viewers to figure out what's going to happen next. And I did not like that ending whatsoever. I could understand it, but that ending knocked this movie down for me as well. But I think I ended up liking it a little bit more than Bruce and Eric. Final thoughts uh, from the good mother regarding before we get to ratings, guys, Bruce, Eric, uh, you guys. Uh, I just looked up Olivia Cook. I did not know uh, from Santa Metal. Yeah, and yeah. She, was, she was the she was yeah, the, the junkie's girlfriend. Yeah, I had she's, no idea that was the same person. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's very she's very she's <laughs> Holy very crap. She's very good, and she was in base. That, that, that may that may have bumped it up half a star for that alone. <laughs> star. Okay, but uh, overall, this is not a movie. I uh, you know. I think I think I like oddly enough I think I like the first half of this movie more than or like the first twenty minutes than I like the rest of it. Because normally, like the first twenty minutes, the part you skip over, and then the rest of the movie's the movie. This is a deal where the first twenty minutes I was really getting into, and then just kind of fell off as it went along. I don't. In fact, you were talking about the ending. I don't even remember how it ends. You'd have to tell me to jog the memory. But oh yeah, it's a very interesting ending. I'll, I'll definitely jog your memory on that. And um, the Good Mother, yeah. In theater, September 1st, my rating for it is three and a half stars. It could have been a four if it ended better. My gosh. What is your rating, Bruce? Um, I'll go two and a half. I I liked some of it, but not enough to go over the, the recommend side. Oh, okay. So two and a half for Bruce Berkey, three and a half for me, Eric Holmes. I will go two and a half as well. I was going to go two, but uh, yeah, we already talked it, bumped up half star. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so two and a half for both Bruce and, and Eric for The Good Mother. I'm giving it three and a half. That's, I'm the only one who's actually giving it a solid recommend. But again, yeah, that ending, uh, that's pretty much a doozy. Running a day, only 89 minutes. That's such a bad thing. Before we go, we have What's in the Bleeping Box. And you know what, Peter Beta, the reason why I'm doing this is Oh, Bruce Perky, he likes watching movies in the box. And we also like playing the musical stylings of Peter Beta. What does Peter Beta do and his middle class, middle film class film crew do every week? Bruce Perky, what do they do? Um, he softly caresses the box so it opens up and goes forth with something beautiful for us to watch. 
Remove your hand from the box, and you die. What's in the box? Thank you so much, Pete, for that music and Bruce Perky for those ASMR stylings. Bruce Perky, what's in the box right now? What did you uh, watch? Kid, Kid Detective, which I don't think I wrote down who specifically suggested this, but I know Pete Abeta was quite a, a champion of this movie. So probably I first heard about it because of him. Uh, directed by Evan Morgan. I didn't write down the year on this. I, I want hmm. to say it's 2020, 2019. 2020. Ah, good, good. Thank you. Um uh, stars Adam Brody as Abe, who is the detective, uh, and a few other people. Uh, most I'm not going to list them all. You can look it up. Look at IMDb. I'll figure it out. Anyway, uh, this is quite an interesting movie. And we talk about tone. Uh, this is a movie where I think the changes in tone are really well handled, but I could see some people having problems with it, depending on how it plays for them. The basic concept is this. The Adam Brody character is now... An adult, a young adult. He's like late 20s, early 30s. I don't know how old he is. Uh, kind of still hanging on to his kid detective lifestyle. But he was, at one point, kind of one of these, like you'd think of, like a Hardy Boy or uh, what are the uh, Encyclopedia Brown or something, right? Yeah, he was the right. kid that was precocious. And all the people would come to him and say like, oh, we can't figure out who stole the, the candy money from the, you know, the, the school. And, you know, he'd be like, ah, I know who it is. I'd solve it. And they have a whole little flashback sequence where they show him solving all these clues. But there's little hints that they don't always work out quite right for him. Like one kid comes to him and says, uh, it's like, I want to figure out why there's blood on my dad's car. And like in the middle of this, this sequence, and you see the flash immediately of the police taking his dad out. And you're like, oh, I guess they don't all play out like nice and wholesomely. Anyway, you kind of go through this whole little montage. And then you find out that about the time he was just becoming well-known around the community and well-loved uh, for all of these things that he solved, all these little mysteries, uh, a young woman has been kidnapped from the community. And because she was his, quote, secretary, she was like 14 or 12 or something. And he was like, I don't know, 15. Everyone figured like, well, he's going to solve this immediately. And he never did. And now he's an adult. And, you know, it's kind of haunted him that this girl was abducted and presumably killed and lost and never solved. And it's been kind of this darkness upon him. And he's drunk now. He's kind of living... He's living as a 30-whatever-year-old he is, like living with a roommate. Uh, he kind of still has a detective office, but rarely anyone shows up. He's got his goth secretary who doesn't even want to talk to him. Uh, and, you know, all he's getting is like, you know, find my missing cat once in a while, stuff like that. Uh, and he's he's kind of a loser. You know, that's the kind of way he's presented as. And he feels like he's a loser. And a young woman shows up. And she says, my boyfriend was murdered and I want you to solve it. And so begins an actual mystery, an actual chance for him to, I guess, be what he, you know, you know live out his potential, right? Uh, this is a quite an interesting movie because I will say for the first half of it, I thought, well, this is kind of this lighthearted mystery sort of neo-noir yeah neo-noir but very light-hearted uh there's a lot of subtle humor in there i thought for a while for the first half i thought wow this movie's going to be kind of like a big lebowski for me right like the first time around you're like focused on the mystery but it doesn't really matter 
But the second time around, you can really enjoy all these interesting interactions that you get with various people as he's trying to solve the mystery. And he's also kind of interacting with people from his past who dismiss him as an adult. But boy, oh boy, does the last third of this movie kick it up a notch. And the mystery does end up mattering. And the way this plays out is fantastic. And it really, once again, I'm obviously not going to give it away. This is one of those movies where it's really an interesting trick because usually the mystery has you hooked and you want to get the solution and it either satisfies you or not. But it's kind of rare to have a movie where the mystery isn't really interesting to you until it is interesting to you. And when it is solved it actually makes everything you saw before more interesting. And that is a very, very cool trick, I think. And I think this movie pulls it off in spades. And by the end of this movie, you're like kind of blown away of like, wow, that was quite a movie. And it's not all, it, it, it's not bright and happy like the beginning. And there's some real darkness in this movie. Uh, and there's some really real emotional stakes in the journey for the character too. I, I kind of ended up loving this movie. Yeah, this is directed and written by Evan Morgan, and I was blown away. I haven't seen it for about a couple of years. It was released in 2020. Thank you for that, Eric Holmes. But it's one of these things. I feel that it's one of those, right, Bruce, hidden gems still? It continues to be a hidden gem, possibly? Yes, because I think it's one of those movies that you can't tell from reading a synopsis or looking at it kind of what it is. And I can imagine a lot of people like me, like you watching the beginning of it and kind of just maybe not finishing it or maybe just thinking like, Oh, I kind of know what kind of the movie this is. And you don't. So, yeah. Okay. I, I definitely want to re actually rewatch this movie. It threw me sideways too. With the third act, what was going on? Third and act for, is amazing for you, Eric. I think you'd love it too, because it's, it's really well-written. It's it, yeah, a lot of things really well-written. Yeah, it is. So what is your rating on the kid detective? Uh, I'm four and a half stars. I, could probably go five stars on this pretty easily. I, I definitely want to get a rewatch re to this in the next couple of years. And I bet you it'll go up for me because this seems very tight, very well written. And I feel like this is one of those movies, if you watch it again, it, ha it would have a really interesting rewatch because it's one of those context movies like The Sixth Sense or something. Like once you know everything, you can watch it again. And I bet you there's a lot of little details and things in there that, that really add up. Also, I want to say... We talked about, I'm not going to say what we talked about MacGruber in ours, but we talked about paying off jokes in MacGruber in our Patreon. This one really pays off things that are left earlier in the movie. So for example, and I'll stop after this, there's a whole thing about when he's a kid, he'd get, he'd have to hide in closets when he'd break into a house to like solve a mystery and they'd find him and be like, oh, isn't that cute? This little kid detective is hidden in our closet. They definitely pay that off in a really great way in the modern <laughs> times. So. All right, so that is The Kid Detective. That is What's in the Box. Before we go, What's in the Bleeping Box, Bruce? Are you going to actually pick something out? Yes. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to make, I'm going to swerve on this slightly. I'm going to oh. kind of pick something out. A few weeks ago, or maybe about a month ago, Peter Beta reviewed a movie, and so I thought this is a good tie-in. He reviewed a movie on their middle-class film class, and I've never heard of the word movie Memoria. Memoria was kind of this notorious movie about a year or two ago where it was supposedly never going to get released on physical media. And it was only being released like a theater at a time. So for like a year, a year and a half, it would just be like, hey, Memoria is playing this week at this theater in Alabama. And the next week it's at this theater in Tennessee. And the next week, you know, and it would just make this tour. And it would, and it stars, I think, I want to say it's Tilda Swinton. 
And it was basically going to be this kind of, kind of like, you know, there's that, um, supposedly that one Wu-Tang album that was only one made and it was bought by that terrible guy and no one would ever get to hear it except whoever bought it for a million dollars. Well, this is kind of like this, the movie, if you didn't see it in the theater, you're not going to be able to see it. Well, apparently that wasn't true because now it's on Blu-ray. Somehow Peter Beta got it. He said, it's horrible. He said it was one of the worst experiences he ever had. And he said, whoever wants it, I'll send you the disc. So I was the first to say I wanted it. So he sent me the disc. <laughs> so <laughs> I will watch Memoria uh, for next week. So I, I may not be suggesting this is a good movie, but I will be watching it. I don't have even a, a cover or anything. He must have kept the cover. I don't know what the deal is, but I have the disc. Oh, okay. you know, he, he loves those slip covers. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's <laughs> Very a, good, Eric. You know, he's like, a, what, a Scrooge McDuck, you know, like surfing on all those <laughs> gold coins. He's out there just laying naked in all those slip covers, just basking <laughs> in them. Let them wash over me. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Peter Beta, for that memoria that's next week's what's in the box and remember next week we're gonna also along with our cinematics episode we are doing a special patreon bonus episode for Kristen and who wanted us to actually review a couple of christian pet sold films that is undine and also have you done the rewatches yet eric holmes undine and actually what was the other one oh, undine and transit transit, transit. Yes. I, Yes, and oh, you've, I don't know if you've already seen Transit yet, Eric Holmes. That, but Transit is available. Oh yeah, on- yeah, yeah. I watched both of them. Oh, okay. So very good on that. We'll be covering that for our Patreon members. And anything else you want to say before we get out of here, Eric Holmes? Any anything else coming out this week? That that. Um, um let's see. Uh, this week we got What Doesn't Float, Ernest and Celestine, a trip to Gibberita, uh All Funny Games, Nando and Fordor. We talked about Day and a Half, King of Killers. Mm. Uh, did you see king of away. killers did you did you ever see that no i think i think we have um if we have that i might cover that i might cover next that week. next week okay. uh we'll, we'll, we'll see I, I don't know for sure if i have that oh and bottoms a lot of people have been watching bottoms i think that's uh i think i mentioned it is coming soon last week and it yeah. seems to be uh one of those that's uh people are liking a lot more than they thought they would yeah and of course the three equalizer the three equalizer. <laughs> he doesn't want to watch that. <laughs> the three very good Eric Holmes. And of course, lest we forget, our father the devil is playing in Los Angeles. We will continue our Our Father the Devil. Watch that movie, Our Father the Devil campaign on a weekly yeah. basis for cinematics. So what are you guys gonna outvote me on that recommendation on a given week, Bruce Barkey? Eric Holmes? Uh, I never saw it, so I don't know. Our father did our father the devil? What? No, I never watched it. Wait, wait, what what was it called? Our our mother the devil? Our, our father our father, yeah. remember? I yeah. never watched it. You never saw. No, <laughs> <laughs> you never watched our father. What was it called? Was that just me and you last week, or is Bruce yeah. having an Eric moment? I think. I think no, no, there. I definitely never watched it. Okay. I never watched it. Okay, all right. all right. Final thoughts before we go. Bruce Perky, remember the one, the one who well, was a fugitive, and she was in that. She, she, she had the thing with the with the priest, no. and oh, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Final thoughts from Bruce Perky. Well, I never watched Our Father the Devil, but I was... I think we are three little devils. Three oh, little devils. <laughs> three little devils. Okay. Final thoughts from Bruce Berge. I just gave it to you. I'm through with three little devils. <laughs> three little devils. Okay. We'll see you guys next week here on Cinematics. What was the movie? It's it's called Our Father the Devil, right? Yeah. Yeah. With Nick Nick Cage? No, remember the, the the black woman, and then the father comes in, and then you remember. Oh, yeah, you're right. Except it was like our father. <laughs> Get out of here, Bruce. All right. <laughs>
That, that, was, re- that, was, that was recording. Leave this part in. Okay, we'll you can leave say, this. I definitely have donkey brains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, Bruce's last thing. Okay, we'll leave this on here. Bruce's last thing to say is he does have donkey brains, too. See you guys next week.